The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 47 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to or a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before I get started, I want to remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So I'm here with our frequent guest, now guest host of Task Force 7 Radio, the Chief Security Officer of BitGo, and partner in VC firm Red Dog Capital, Thomas Pageler. So good afternoon, Brother Tom. Hey, thanks for having me, George. Always a pleasure to be here. Hey, glad to have you on, man. My voice is all over the place today, so just bear with me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I got you know, between allergies and everything else that's going on and a change of weather, uh, it's crushing my voice, crushing my voice. So it's good to be back, everyone. I missed everyone last week as our production staff had off on Labor Day, which, which falls on a Monday. And that's the same night we do our weekly broadcast. So we had a week off, which is nice. Sometimes it's nice. But a lot of you were reaching out to me asking me where your weekly fix of Task Force 7 Radio was. And I got to be honest with you, that made me feel really good. A lot of people noticed right away that the new show was not up. And it made me want to get back on the air and, and just start talking to everyone and, and not lose that momentum that we've, that we've had. I mean, over the last four months, we've had four months of consecutive increases in our listenership. Uh, that's been pretty significant. And, and last month was by far our biggest month yet. And I got to be honest, it's, it's all very exciting. It's all very exciting, especially because we're getting ready to launch TF7 network pre-registration site. So you can register for the TF7 uh, network at any time. And, and you've heard me mention this on the show before. So Task Force 7 is going to be the premier cybersecurity professional network around the world. Uh, it's going to be a high-speed, low-drag platform, folks. And we're going to give you a central meeting place where you can get together, you can obtain the tools you need, the resources you need to share best practices. Uh, a lot of big focus is going to be on developing your skills. I want, obviously, we want people to discover new opportunities. We're going to talk about a lot about that, that in this episode today. You know, you're going to get an opportunity to manage your careers, discover leading edge technologies. Uh, basically, you're going to be able to get some of these technologies into production faster to mitigate some of the biggest threats that you're having because 
you're going to see the technologies that you're interested in and not be just getting bombarded by a bunch of salespeople with stuff that you're not interested in. And we're going to talk about that on this episode too. Uh, so it's back to business. I hope everyone had a wonderful three-day weekend to close out the summer. For me, it just went by way too fast. I just can't believe how fast it went by. I mean, it's just, it just blew by. The summer just blew by. So we didn't air the, a new episode last week because of the holiday weekend, but what we did do instead is we aired one of the most popular TF7 episodes we have had thus far, and that's determined by you, our, our TF7 radio audience, and, and that was our episode titled, Is Blockchain Technology Gunning to Change the World? And that's what, that was with frequent guest here on TF7 radio, our cybersecurity legal expert, Adriana Sanford. Um, I'm, I'm sure all you know who Adriana is. She's appeared on several episodes of TF7 Radio. And the episode aired on March 19th earlier this year, uh, right around spring break and final four time of the year. And that's just, that sticks out with me big time. The, the second, third, and fourth weeks of March always sticks out in spring break, probably because I went to Florida State University. And, you know, down in Florida, spring break was a big deal. But I think this particular episode has a great chance of being the most listened to episode in TF7 radio history. I mean, people really love it. It gets tons of playbacks. And Adriana is a world-renowned cybersecurity legal expert, and she was able to talk about blockchain technology in a way that people really understand it and that people can really relate to. And so I've read this note on the show before, but I wanted to read it again because it represents how many people, how, how many people feel about this episode uh, after they listen to the show. So then the note is from James McClendon. He's the chief operating officer over at White Cloud Security. And he wrote this about this particular episode with Adriana Sanford. He said, hi, George, I just listened to your show for the first time. Your guest was Adriana Sanford and I learned more about blockchain and cryptocurrency than I have from any other source. I will be subscribing. Thank you for what you are doing to expose the cyber threat facing our great nation. Warm regards, Jim. And I just thought that was just a fantastic note. I know I read it once right after the episode aired way back in, in March, but I wanted to read it again and just thank Jim again for writing that note because that's why we do this. That's why we're doing this right now. This is not an investigative uh, uh show. This, I'm not an investigative journalist. This is just a show for people to get informed. They'll hear some analysis, to hear from some experts in the industry, and walk away with more information about their jobs and what they can do to further their careers than they did before they actually started listening to the show. So I, I very much appreciate his support for listening and subscribing to Task Force 7 Radio. And by the way, I, I do read every single email I get, folks. I, I don't always get to them right away. I, I, I submit that, but I, I do get to them eventually, and I do read everything you send me and all the comments on social media. So I do get around to everything. So Adriana Sanford attracts a crowd, and we like crowds here at TF7 Radio. So we're going to try to get her back on the air with us as soon as possible for a fresh new episode. So stay tuned. We're trying to get her back here on the show with us as soon as possible. Um, so before we went on break last week, we had the chief product officer and interim CTO of Onfido on the air with us. His name is Kevin Trilly, and we had him on to talk about cybersecurity risk and threats that we face with identity verification on the internet. And this guy is just he's so incredibly intelligent. He was very, very impressive. You know, uh, just to reiterate once again, you know, Kevin holds a master's degree in management from Stanford 
and and he also is a, a Sloan Fellow there. He he holds a bachelor's in chemical engineering from the University of Illinois. He's taken a whole bunch of coursework at MIT in the artificial intelligence space. This, folks, was a fantastic show. It was a fantastic show on identity verification in the cybersecurity space with a very, very accomplished, well-spoken, and articulate cybersecurity professional. So if you missed last week's show, and that's the week before the break, I urge you to take the time, go grab it off of our episode library, and, and take a listen. Take a listen to the show. You can listen to it anytime on playback, whenever it's convenient for you. And what's funny, Tom, is, is our listeners love Tuesday mornings. I don't know when you listen to the show and, and you listen to the feedback, but I know Tuesday mornings is a big morning for Task Force 7 Radio. We come out with a new show every week on Monday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific. And it seems like a lot of our listeners out there have gotten into the groove of downloading our show first thing Tuesday morning to kick off their day because they know there's a new show out there. So that's absolutely fantastic. See, George, I'm the West Coast. We listen on the way home Monday. You guys listen to them on the ah, way that's Tuesday. Right. That's really, yeah, very really different. Really. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good point. You know, I should realize stuff like that, but that's why I ask. But, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Whatever day works for you, when, when you're getting ready in the morning, you're riding home or you're riding on your way into work, uh, you're taking the two train downtown to work, whatever it is, whatever works for you, that's the beauty of internet radio. So if you missed it, it was the second highest one-week performance of any show we've ever had huge audience for only a seven-day period, so check it out. That's the role of identity verification in cybersecurity with Chief Product Officer of Onfido, Kevin Trilly. Episode number 46 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 episodes on playback. You can find TF7 Radio on a total of nine different playback mediums, including iTunes.com, Google Play, TuneIn.com, Stitcher.com, Player.fm, Overcast.fm, ListenNotes.com, the show's very own website at TaskForce7Radio.com, and of course, the number one internet talk radio producer in the world at VoiceAmerica.com. So all in all, nine different options to get your TF7 Radio fix. We're everywhere. You can't miss us. If you Google Task Force 7 Radio, you get all your options. Check us out, folks. TF7 Radio Playback at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, please, please, please don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe, and we've been seeing the subscriptions go up, which is fantastic. So, Tom, we've been banging out so many awesome guests over the last few months. We haven't really done any cybersecurity news and analysis for a while. And I figure since summer's over and it's back to work, well, I guess I say back to work, like cybersecurity professionals are ever on vacation, right? But I figure we would catch up on some cybersecurity current events and you and I could just sit around and talk some shop. So earlier this year, several media outlets reported that one of the most well-known chief security officers in the United States, Alex Stamos from Facebook, would be leaving Facebook in August. So that's, that's last month. And the reports about this came out in March earlier this year. And they came out after Alex reportedly was clashing with executives over the company's problems dealing with a Russian infiltration of their platform to influence the 2016 presidential election, as well as the whole Cambridge analytical debacle that we know about, which turns out to have been going on with a lot more developers than just Cambridge Analytica. But 
You've already covered this on a previous episode of Task Force 7 Radio, and it's also the subject of a 60-minute segment, which we also uh, opined on and reported on. So we're not going to relive the whole thing, but I'm pretty sure everybody knows what the gig is with that and what we're talking about. So there was an article dated March 19th, 2018 on businessinsider.com by Alexei Araskovic, and that reported on Alex Stamos's impending departure from the company because Stamos favored being more transparent with the public about how the 2 billion members social network was misused to spread propaganda during the 2016 presidential election. And this, according to the report, which cites anonymous sources familiar with the matter, of course, that, that, that position puts Stamos at odds with Sheryl Sandberg and other executives inside of Facebook. So the Times, this is, this is at that time back in March, both the Times and Reuters were both reporting that Stamos' day-to-day responsibilities were assigned to others back in December of 2017, and that prompted him to make plans to leave. He said, you know, it's basically time for me to go. I don't like what's happening here. But he was convinced to stay on until August to avoid concern among employees, and I'm sure it went a lot farther than that because I think a lot of people in the public would be concerned as well. So... In a tweet following the report back in March, Stamos said he was still fully engaged at Facebook despite the quote-unquote rumors, and he acknowledged that his role had changed and that he was currently focused on emerging security risk and election security, but he did not say anything about whether he planned to remain at the company past August of this year. So at the time, Facebook gave some garden variety statement out there saying that Alex has held this position for nearly three years and he leads our security efforts, especially around emerging security risk. And of course, he's a valued member of the team and we are so grateful for everything that he does every day and yada, yada, yada. It was this garden variety statement out there that didn't you know, confirm or deny anything and just basically said that you know he, he's still with us and he does emerging risk and, and we love him. So... One more thing was, was mentioned at the time, and that was that this wouldn't be the first time Stamos has clashed with employers over their approach to security matters. So he, he was previously the chief information security officer over at Yahoo before leaving for Facebook back in 2015. And he quit after then CEO Marissa Mayer agreed to scan customer emails for U.S. intelligence officials. This was reported by Reuters in, in 2016. So... In my opinion, though, this isn't something that's very uncommon. I mean, a security executive clashing with business executives who know nothing about security. I mean, I, you know, I can't imagine that happening, right? I, I think it oh, happened. Oh, no, never, never. <laughs> <laughs> so let's fast forward to now. Stamos comes out in early August and says to the world that he's going to be leaving Facebook around August 17th and starting a new position in September with Stanford University's Information Warfare Faculty Working Group to study the role of security and technology in society. So congratulations to Alex. That's a great job uh, at Stanford. It's a a wonderful university, obviously one of the best in the world, putting all his experience together to further the industry of cybersecurity. And we all know that we need the smartest minds we can find to solve our biggest problems. And that's what we do here on Task Force 7. We're the advocate for the cybersecurity professional. So, but get this, Tom. Facebook announces that it will not be replacing Stamos and that they will be, then they won't be hiring a chief security officer when he leaves. Right? So Stales is gone, and now they're basically saying, hey, look, we're just not going to hire a new CSO. So a- according to a New York Times article by Shira Frankel and Kate Conger, dated August 1st, 2018, 
In an internal Facebook post from January written by Alex Stamos, which was obtained by the Times, he said that the company's security team was being reorganized and would no longer operate as a standalone entity. Instead, he wrote, Facebook security workers would be more closely aligned with the product and engineering teams and focus either on protecting the company's corporate infrastructure or its users. So, but what do you say about that? What do you think about that, Tom? I mean, <laughs> so, I mean so first, there's a first, lot there, right? <laughs> first, I want to I preface by uh, making sure everyone understands. I know Alex Stamos well. I've known him since before Yahoo. And I think he's an amazing individual. And I think he definitely is one of those thought leaders who pushes, uh, pushes the envelope in security. And I think the Stanford position for him is going to be phenomenal because he is a security leader, thought leader. Uh, just example, right? When he got to Yahoo, one of the first things he did was said, you know what? There's a lot of you know, systems out here and stuff that I can't find owners of. So I'm just going to turn it off. And, and he talked to Marissa Myers, <laughs> got her background and let you know, her backing. And he just turned off everything that like basically couldn't figure out who owned it. And then waited till people complained. And, and, and it was like, it was only like, only like 20% of them complained. So there was like 80% of, of systems that just were out there that no one had ever sunset, that no one realized no one owned, that were just exposure. So you got to think about that. Like that is something that security leaders usually can't do, right? Yeah, right. That's right. You, you so so I love him. Breaks loose. Yeah. That, right? yeah. yeah so, so absolutely. And, and I do think, uh, you know, I don't have much insight, obviously. I've talked to Alex, and I think everything that is in the news is, is pretty accurate of kind of what was going on. I don't think it was necessarily, you know, it was to take Alex out and, and change his team. I think it was they did have the election issue, the election fraud issue. He's a very intelligent person. Let's put him full-time kind of on that. You know, you saw him talking, uh, you know, from, from the Hill, um, just, just really using him in that regard. And I think what happened was probably move Facebook towards a decentralized model. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think integrating security and, and more to align with engineering and product is amazing. We do that in finance, right? So we have finance business partners that help all the lines of business. I think that's amazing. However, at the end of the day, all finance reports up to a CFO. And all security should still have a CSO. You don't just sit there and say, well, everyone's going to kind of do the budget themselves. And uh, if you want to know what the budget is overall for Facebook, uh, just talk to all these heads and, and, and we think we got it right. And so by absolutely, like by taking away that chief security officer head, you now have a decentralized security team that can just really, honestly, there's no way to ever understand how Facebook takes security. Like what, what's the overall strategy? What's the overall, how do you re report it? I'm not saying the chief security officer has to have all these direct reports. They just need some dotted lines, some strategy, some think tanking. So I think it's a, a really bad move because what you've basically done is just push security down to the lines of business without any oversight. And you would never do that with finance. Like you would never say, hey, everybody go work on your own, figure out your books, but we're not going to have an overall picture of what finance looks like. So I, I think it's a pretty terrible, So what, what, what do you think, that, what's the deal with everybody's not talking about it though? I mean, you know, here, here we are, we have all these big cybersecurity voices that were screaming incompetency when the Trump administration didn't replace the cybersecurity czar in the government. And this is, this is different. This is, this is obviously a, a company in the, in the private sector, but Hey, look, I mean, I'd, I'd rather, I, and look, and I'd rather have a cybersecurity czar than not have one, okay? So I'd rather somebody, I, I was hoping that the position wouldn't be replaced, but I just can't believe that no one, no one that I could find anyway has said anything and has an opinion on this whatsoever when it comes to not replacing the CSO of one of the most influential companies in the world. I'm hearing crickets right now. What's the deal with that? 
I think people just don't understand. I think it's, uh, you know, kind of baffled too. I think it's, there's so much around it that I think um, right now people aren't really thinking about that. I think once Alex leaves uh, or he's gone now, but like once he gets to Stanford, we start to realize, wait a minute, there really is no chief security officer at, at Facebook. You start to realize there's no central voice coming from such a large Silicon Valley company, especially one that has just had major privacy issues and election problem. I mean, there is going to be a compounding, like who, who's responsible, who's, who's going to respond to this. And I think it'll come over time, especially as people start to dig in. It's going to be like, who do you send? Do you send the, the head of security for the platform? Do you have the head of security for engineering? Like who responds to this? Who kind of owns privacy? Is it the legal team that starts to kind of represent? Is that the right move? Because then basically the legal team's the one who usually kind of advises the executive who's speaking. So I think it'll come out as these issues kind of get pressed. And at some point, I think, you know, maybe in congressional hearings, other areas, to be like, look, no, we need, we need someone. We need someone who's responsible for us. Show us who the central point is responsible. Same thing with finance, right? I mean, our, our, an auditor, right? You don't sit there and say, well, we got rid of the auditor because, uh, you know, everybody audits themselves. Or, you know, we don't really have a chief financial officer because everybody's responsible for their own books. You just don't do that. At the end of the day, someone is responsible for it all. So there's going to have to be someone who stands up. And maybe, maybe they'll give it to someone else. Maybe it'll be, you know, Cheryl Sandberg will be COO slash CSO. And I don't think that's a bad thing because she can run operations and security. That's fine. But she, that means she's responsible for it. It all goes up to her. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. They might give it to another executive kind of the overall responsibility. And that's fine. But until they do that, I think we're going to start to see some issues. It's going to start unwinding. And they're, they're probably going to get some pretty serious blowback in the next couple of months. I mean, you know what seriously stuck out to me, though, as a red flag when I read this, especially about what the security culture may be at, at Facebook, obviously, just speculating right now. But, you know, in this statement that that the, was obtained by the Times from the memo that was put out by Stamos, it says that the security department should no longer operate as a standalone entity. And that stuck out to me right away, man, because in every cybersecurity strategy I've ever seen, uh, you know, mature cybersecurity strategy, the information security department in an organization is not supposed to act like a standalone entity. It's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be business aligned. It's supposed to be integrated into the business and become a facilitator, not a blocker to the line of business mission. So, I mean, is that the way you see it? Is that your experience? Because I, I got to tell you, that spoke volumes to me about the, what the security culture could be at Facebook. You know, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's definitely a red flag. You, you know, my background. I'm much more about the security team embracing working across platforms and businesses, um, taking a risk-based approach, identifying risk with the business leaders, explaining it. But you know, finding ownership, uh, making sure that everybody's reporting in, uh, together. We all have uh, you know an idea of what minimum security requirements are. We understand what you know what we're protecting. Uh, just kind of that central strategy, right? This is, this is what we feel is our secret sauce we have to protect. This is how, you know, at a minimum, we're going to protect it. This is how we're going to make sure that we do the best we can to keep these things safe. Like, and that's going to be missing because if, if you decentralize that. And I think to your point, somehow Facebook became this thing where it's like maybe a draconian, you know, information security team that was stopping the business. And then you had a, a, a group, um, you know, doing their own thing. And that might just be, what we're reading on the news, right? They, they clearly had some issues going on and probably were not aligned well. I mean, I think that um, obviously the election fraud, some other stuff happening and probably, probably the information security team was identifying some things, calling it out. 
and it was getting in the way of the business and, and somehow friction started. I mean, those are all signs of serious yeah, friction. It is. I think there are big signs of trouble here. I mean, I, I can't imagine having, you know, security embedded in the lines of business without a central entity that governs, you know, well, first of all, has a, a governance model that has, pro, you know, proper yep. uh, standards and policies and procedures that need to be followed. There's no consistency in standardization across the enterprise. It, you're right. It could be it's just to me. It just could, you know, breed chaos instead of, you yep. know, that they're, you know, oh, we're really embedding security in the business now by just eliminating the central entity of security in the organization. Well, as a public company, it's going to be interesting to see how their 10K report comes out because it's going to be, you know, they're supposed to identify top risks and stuff, and now you don't really have a centralized view of security. You have it uh, decentralized without anybody um, kind of collecting and putting together. So that's why I said at some point it's going to start coming out because you've got shareholders, you're a public company. People are going to start saying, hey, wait a minute, what's going on? What is your security approach? What's your security risk? How is this all being examined, um, you know, from a, a top level? So somehow I think some executive there is going to have to take on that, either be it like risk or security or something, uh, where it, it, it all has to at least get reported to, to be examined and, and a common ground uh, figured out. Right. So who, who's the security executive that briefs the board? I mean, yep. I just a whole, a whole bunch of stuff, you know, going on on social media again uh, this last week about how cybersecurity is definitely a board issue. I mean, there's being books written about this, right? And now you have no central, I mean, it, you wouldn't get, to your point, you wouldn't get rid of the CFO. You wouldn't get rid of the chief legal counsel. When someone presents that question to them, well, why did you get rid of the CSO? And who's going to actually brief us that we have confidence in that they're a real uh, cybersecurity expert that's battle tested that's battle tested that's been in in the trenches that's you know and that's navigated through major breaches and discovered major breaches and has experience that we need that we feel confident that we're in a good cybersecurity posture where's that coming from you know no that's a good point and honestly in, in board meetings you know there's going to be an update from uh uh, CFO that you know, overall here's here's how the finances look and CSO here overall here's our security posture here's how it looks and and then there will be some updates uh, from the lines of business and in some areas they might discuss and kind of get a little into you know finances and security so if you're thinking about it from a Facebook perspective uh, if I'm a board member I'm gonna sit there and I'm gonna hear about security issues individually hopefully in each part of the deck and then I've got to put it together I, I'd be very frustrated I'd say no I, I want you know one overall presentation on security the same with finance, right? I wouldn't want them to say, well, we're not going to have an overall, you know, explanation of the books, but each line of business will explain how they're doing. And, and then I have to figure it out. It wouldn't work for me. So I, I think that this won't work. And, and maybe part of it, and I'm hope, hopeful that this is what it is, is just that um, Facebook is not wanting to rush into a CSO right away. Maybe, maybe they're going to kind of uh, figure it out and, and hopefully they've got some kind of interviewing going on quietly or something and they're, and they're trying to figure that out. I don't know. Do you, do you think... This is because the business executives at Facebook were at such odds with Stamos that it left such a bad taste in their mouth that they don't want another high-profile security guy, you know, telling them what to do. They don't want someone giving them strong opinions on how sound security should be integrated into their businesses because they have different ideas. And quite frankly, I just, you know, from my perception of what I see, a lot of these business executives don't have a clue about security. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure there because I, I think that there's probably – a couple things that compounded, it, you know, Stamos is definitely uh, a thought leader, right? And he does definitely push the envelope. And, and, and you know, you can just look him up and read article after article, you know, uh, challenging the NSA no, director. Yeah, 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 only, opinions. Yeah, yeah, he does. But I, I, I also kind of wonder if it, it was necessarily that or is it that you had an individual who 
you knew could could handle and focus on on a crisis or have a crisis with that election campaign. So was it really the the fighting, or you said, "Hey, here's someone who's pretty well known. I can get him. I can get him out there focused on this," which created it. So I don't know necessarily if it was the fighting, or if it was that, or a combination of both. Where you know, obviously, probably uh, Stamos probably saw the smoke early, uh, probably started pushing back pretty quickly, and then the next thing you know, there's a fire. So it's just like that perfect storm combination. It could be something like that. I mean, obviously, something happened, right? It was more than him just being re- reassigned and a reorganization there because he left the company and he, he left the company. He decided to leave the company. And then those, that, those comments came out in March and they convinced him to stay on until August, I think, to make sure that, you know, in my opinion, it didn't affect, you know, the company's uh, outlook from, from the outside, not only the inside with, the, with employees, but from the outside too. But then there's the ethics piece of this, right? And you, you mentioned it before. I mean, Alex Stamos has been called a security ethicist more than once. And he, he's proved that he's been willing to quit his job over his ethical stance on a particular issue. So it's been widely reported that he is once again taking an ethical stand on the way Facebook is handling the entire controversy over the Russians and using the platform to interfere with the presidential election and everything that happened there. But should all of this give consumers and social media users a warm, fuzzy feeling about using Facebook now? I mean, that, that, I mean, that just doesn't look right to me. I, I don't know what, you're, you know, what do you think? Uh, I, number one, I do commend uh, Alex, and I, I, there are a few out there, and I think every CISO, CSO should be ready to do that, as in, hey, I, I will be here until I'm no longer effective, and, and there are times when you're no longer effective and it's time to step down, and I, I, I commend him because I think um, no matter what it was, in fighting, uh, you know, just too much going on. Yeah, uh, no doubt. I mean, he's admired in, in this way, yeah. uh, in, in the cybersecurity world, at least in our circles. I mean, he's admired for his t- taking his stances and standing by them. And a lot of them obviously are, are pro security stances that many in the industry like ourselves agree with. Right. I mean, yeah, and I think him doing this is, is great because what it's done is it's called attention at least enough to it that there's smoke there. To your point, I'm surprised we're not having more people question, but I think there's just so much going on that it will become more uh, attention getting. And it's not even just external. It could be internal too, right? I'm a board member. Whenever an executive steps down, um, you know, it just calls, calls my attention. You just want to know why. Some of it could just be, hey, you know, it's just time. I, you know, family reasons, whatever. It could be, hey, look, there's a lot going on and it's time to reevaluate this and bring someone else in who's got a different skill set than I did because you know, this is what I could do and I've achieved what I can achieve and now you need the next layer. Um, or it could just be, you know, hey, this place is so toxic, I've got to step down and it's, it's going to implode. So I think it's really, uh, we're right now probably at the time where internally they're trying to examine, figure out what's going on and making their, their strategy approach to address the issues. And I think that if we don't get answers in the next month or so, you're going to start seeing people, journalists, um, shareholders, um, security experts, others, start to question and, and, and possibly congressional leaders because they're going to start looking at saying, Hey, wait a minute. You know, we, you just had an issue where you had uh, you know, a complete election issue going on and now we have no head of security. What, like, how is that possible? Yeah. I mean, if, you know, first thing I thought of when, when I saw that, that article that, you know, that obviously he was leaving and announced and I said, Oh, well, maybe I should give him a call. And I'm sure task force seven is going to need a, <laughs> a chief security officer in a few months. You know, I was like, you know, the guy's going to be, I mean, he can write his ticket, right? I mean, I, you know, he could go anywhere he wants. Obviously, we're at Stanford. He's, 
you know, in the think tank over there where he's able to uh, apply all of his experience more broadly uh, than just in one company and one issue. And he's uh, uh, able to apply his ideas and his solution sets across the, a variety of different enterprises and sectors, which I think is, you know, benefits us all. But uh, uh, yeah, absolutely agree with you. And look, we, we got to take it. We got to take some time out to go to a commercial break, but we'll be right back to talk some more shop in a, in a few minutes, promise. But before we go to commercial break, folks, if, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow us. Don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. You can follow us on LinkedIn by searching at, TF, uh, at Task Force 7 Radio and on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, as well as, as, well as other business communications, please email me directly at george.redis at taskforce7radio.com. That's george.redis at taskforce7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. So I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, folks. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back, folks, with more with Tom Pager. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash TF7 to request a look at Inkman SOAR live in action. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America.
You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Redis, and I'm here with my guest co-host of TF7 Radio, Tom Pager. And we were just talking about the break a couple things. But first of all, you know, both of us are having trouble with our voices, so whatever. <laughs> like, my voice is cracking so bad. It's like cracking every other sentence, and I like, uh, my allergies are crushing me, so I'm trying not to cough into the mic. So um, It's nice that you and I finally hit puberty, George. <laughs> yeah, it's been, my voice sounds terrible, man. It's like cracking all over the place. But um, anyhow... We were also talking about maybe, you know, trying to get Alex on the show, which, uh, you know, I, I would love to have Alex on the show. That'd be, you know, fantastic. So we'll, we'll see if we can't make that happen as well. But I want to continue to chat about some current events. And there was a really, really interesting article. It was written by a guy named Wallace Woodkowski. I think I'm doing pretty good with names today. Usually I, I screw it up, but I think I got that one right. He's a reporter over at Market Watch, And he wrote an interesting piece yesterday. Uh, about the anniversary of the Equifax breach disclosure that focused not, not on the breach itself, but it really focused on what are the biggest headaches that executives, security executives, have that are, that are in charge of you know, protecting company data, much like Alex Stamos did for Facebook, who, who are desperately, desperately trying to avoid having a bad day, managing a whole bunch of technology that wasn't built with security in mind. Right, so it's a really challenging position, man. I mean, the the article states that according to security experts in the industry, the number of cybersecurity choices facing chief information security officers, or CSOs in some cases, can be overwhelming. This is something that Tom and I are very familiar with, right? Obviously, from what we've done in our, in our careers, but it's 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 very consistent theme. It's a very consistent theme, and I'm hearing it on a regular basis now almost like a regular drumbeat throughout the industry. And that's why the article, I just found it so interesting and I wanted to talk about it a little bit. It's the growing pressure to protect customer data and the company's reputation that has just seemed to give away to the idea of some type of holy grail of a central solution for cybersecurity, right? There's this central, it's like almost like the magic button out there. You can push the magic button and everything's going to go away. Right. And all your problems are going to go away. I mean, so, you know, just the reason why this came up is because last year on September 7th of 2017, Equifax disclosed that hackers gained access to 143 million customer records. And I think that grew up to about 148 million because of this, because the company was slow to patch a vulnerability in in Apache struts. Right. So, and as recently as just last month on the 22nd, of August, another vulnerability was detected in Apache Struts by a software engineering analytics company, Semel. I think I got that right, Semel. But if you're interested in looking at that, that vulnerability, it's CVE 2018-11776. That's 11776 if anyone's really interested in looking it up. But it's, um, you know, it's pretty interesting that these things just keep coming out. So MarketWatch, they, they went out and interviewed a whole bunch of top cybersecurity executives for their, their story. And, and not to anyone's surprise, in the, in basically in the wake of this anniversary of the Equifax disclosure, the need for consolidation in a fractured sector was just this recurring theme that I mentioned before. And many companies 
are dealing with patchwork of different software offerings for different needs and they can make mistakes and just like what happened over in Equifax with, 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 with the struts patch. And I mean, you know, the patch was there, but it, you know, it wasn't implemented on the box that I got hit. So Kevin Mandia, he's a, he's a friend of, you know, Tom and I both know Kevin very well and he's a friend of ours and he was quoted in the article as saying, he thinks you'll have to see consolidation in the industry. He went on to say that the best of breed isn't sticking out as much anymore. And, you know, I, and I don't think it's sticking out anymore because there isn't really one technology that can provide us that one-stop shop fix for the overwhelming amount of challenges and threats that we face. And even when we are focusing on a specific problem, Tom, because there seems to be so many different facets of that problem and attack vectors with that, with that threat, or even different cybersecurity disciplines that are involved, it just seems impossible. I mean, we, you think? Yeah, I think the funny thing is, we, you know, our last segment we were just talking about, uh, you know, decentralizing and, and needing a central, you know, point of contact. So I think <laughs> the, the decentralizing is actually really key here, right? So you have a stretch vulnerability. Um, obviously, you know, we'll talk about Equifax a year later, right? So they had a stretch vulnerability. I'm sure that uh, they probably understood they weren't patched, but probably weren't decentralized enough to understand that hey, you know, what's, what's ranked this risk, right? So here, here's, you know, our patch management obviously is a very big deal. It's, it's, it's an impact to the business to take cycles, all this. Uh, you know, had they been decentralized probably better, they probably could have, you know, priority ranked this stuff. So uh, again, though, you need that, that head. Now, so to, to address the issue, I think exactly that this article is talking about, I do agree there is no one uh, bullet. I don't think there ever will be. I, I think... Um, you just can't do that. Now, I, I do think that there's certain areas of places that are going to do things better than others. So, for example, not security related. You know, if you want to go into cloud storage, uh, you know, do you really, if you're not a data center type company, do you want to go build your own data center, do it all yourself, you know, have all those servers, rack and stack? Um, or do you want to just go out to those who do it professionally, such as, you know, Amazon, AWS, you know, uh, Microsoft Azure? or uh, Google Cloud, right? So, so you know, there, there are Rackspace or DigitalOcean. There's, there's many others, right? So I do think we're going to continue to see that in security. You know, you're going to find certain areas of security that's like, you know, I need this. I'll go to one of the big brands to do this. But do I think that there's going to be one person that I would trust? I mean, like, even if I'm an AWS shop, I probably have a relationship with another cloud support provider just in case something happens to AWS. Um, or vice versa, if I'm Azure, maybe I have a, you know, some kind of relationships. So I think in security, you're always going to do that. But I think fundamentally what needs to happen is, uh, you know, this is kind of, you know, we, we have to kind of look at it and say, okay, where is this risk strategy? How are we going to look at things? So what we should be doing is, is making it so there's multiple layers. And what I mean by that is identify what you're storing. So in Equifax's case, you have, you know, data for credit scores for everybody in the world, right? Where is that data at? And make sure that not one person or one system can get to it. Make sure that you have a D, uh, just a very fragmented uh, a way to get to things. And ask your third parties to prove that they can do that. In most cases, ask them to give you something specific. So maybe they have a key to get into something. Well, give me a shard of the key. So it requires a key from me, a key from you, and maybe there's a, you know, a secondary one in backup, something like, like multi-key, multi-layer, as a bad guy, I can't just go in and hold George Reedus at gunpoint and tell him, go give me this. George is like, look, I know where the safe is. I don't have a combo. I need to go get, you know, Matt to go give me the combo and the safe. And by the way, there's also a thumbprint that has to come from Mary, right? So you got to start thinking that way. 
Yeah, I mean, don't 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 companies need a strategy just to, on how they're going to evaluate new technologies these days? I mean, everybody needs, I think, a strategy around what their innovation center looks like, how their innovation center interacts with their engineering people, their their developers, their you know their their their, their operations folks, uh, their programmatic structure. Uh, their administration. I mean, I mean, they need no. There needs to be a whole strategy around that because there's so much to do. If you're not doing it the right way, you're going to miss it. You're never going to find the technology that you need to implement. I think. I, mean, I, th- I think one of the primary things any CSO or CRO, chief risk officer, something like that, needs to do is a data discovery and data classification exercise right away. And what I mean by that is go figure out what kind of data do you have, and then classify it. So uh, if you know if I'm Kentucky Fried Chicken, I I you know. My data, I look at it, you know, the, the 11 herbs and spices that I want to keep from anybody else knowing. That's, like, that's my, you know, data I have somewhere, and I classify that as my, you know, my IP of why my chicken's better than everybody else's chicken, and by golly, I'm going to put every control in place to, you know, to protect that. And then you start getting kind of layers around that. You say, okay, well, here's the data that, you know, I don't know, makes the mashed potatoes. The mashed potatoes aren't what we're known for. It's important, but not as important, right? So, like, that is one of the key things. So, you can go out there and say, okay, what is core to my business that I have to protect and then how do I come around this and make sure that like you know Fort Knox right where the gold is stored whatever it is that is in the vault of all vaults you know uh, multiple people needed there you know uh, layers and layers of, of impenetrable walls armed guards you know remote locations keys uh, that multiple people have to come together to open doors that kind of thing and we're not doing that. What we're, you know, the, and actually that article kind of is troubling because it's kind of saying, well, if we could get some kind of centralized one-stop company, which I do think we're seeing that. We're seeing some, you know, like Cisco's buying up companies. Others are buying up security companies and trying to become a one-stop shop. The issue is then you get lazy because it's just like, well, I have this in place and they'll do what I need them to do. You don't want to be like that. What you want to do is really say, okay, what's the most important thing to me? And maybe it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the crypto space, right? So maybe um, I've got, crypto assets. Um, I want to make sure that I have a secure wallet with multi-signatures that is going to make sure that when, if, if, if I'm breached, you can't even get my stuff because I only have one key myself, the other keys with a, with a, a company that is my wallet. And then there's one in escrow, right? You have to breach at least, you know, two of those three to get my data. Like start thinking that way, not a, Oh, here, I, I gave it to this person. They're going to go run it for me and protect everything. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to take, it's a, it's a long process, I think, here. We're talking about this isn't going to happen anytime soon. And not only that, just, you know, getting back to the whole fact of, okay, you know, we're, I guess we're talking about right now is how do we move to that one central pane of glass and maybe closer to that one company that has that platform that has all of our solution sets uh, combined under one contract. There was 600 vendors at RSA this year. 600 vendors out there. I mean, you felt like more. I mean, because when, when people are asking, well, how, many, how many vendors do you think were out here? Like, oh, well, thousands. There was thousands of vendors out here. And, and I think there was about 600, but it seemed like thousands because everybody was just overwhelmed. Yep. Now, me personally, I wasn't there. I was, you know, I'm just getting feedback from, from what I hear from, from people telling me and, you know, texting me like the minute they got there. But, um, it, you know, it, it, is, it is definitely a little bit overwhelming. I think people are getting frustrated and I think the article mentions something that I hear all the time, and is that that is the, the, the fragmentation of, of the solution sets. It's just massive. I mean, I really think there has to be a strategy out there to say, okay, this is how we're going to go about choosing technology now. And you have to be real, uh, I guess, specific and comprehensive about it. 
Because if you're not, if you don't have that process down and if you don't have those teams in place, especially if you have a medium to large organization, I think you're just going to miss it, man. You're going to miss it. It's too, it's too convoluted out there. It's too confusing. Uh, there's too many vendors out there to choose from. And if you're not, if you don't have an elimination process where you can go down and break these things down into buckets and, and start, you know, well, first of all, knowing and defining what your real problems are, uh, obviously, and your real gaps are and getting the biggest bang from your buck um, and your strategy. But if you don't, if you don't have uh, your act together when it comes to that process, you're in big trouble. Well, I think to your point, if I, if I go to RSA and uh, I'm a CSO, CSO, whatever, and I go in there knowing that I want a solution to protect something, then I'm going to do much better, right? So if I sit there and say, okay, my priority is to protect the secret recipe, I'll go in there and I might go, okay, show me someone who can do maybe secure offline storage. Uh, let's look for something that maybe gives another layer, like uh, you know, moving target defense, something like that. So now I kind of get an idea of, okay, so I want to at least secure it in some fashion, and I want to put another layer in front of it. Then I can start thinking about as a third party, because that, that security company now becomes a third party vendor to me. And we know security companies have been breached. We, we've seen that, you know, malware has actually um, been distributed through um, security companies. We've also seen, you know, password companies that get breached. So all your passwords are out there. I mean, like this third party, now I'm going to go do my due diligence on them saying, okay, I've chosen you to lock up my, my stuff in, your, in the vault. Show me your security to make sure that you're not breached so people can get into there. Show me how secure that vault is, digital vault, physical vault, whatever it is. And then the layer in front of that, show me what, you know, I'm choosing you. I love your technology, but show me it can't be breached. And if I, if someone did this with it, like how far can they get and start thinking that way? So it, it just seems to me, uh, you know, obviously it, it's a common theme. Everybody's longing for this single uh, pane of glass solution. Kevin had some more comments. Kevin Mandy had some more comments in the article. He basically said, what most CISOs at companies are looking for is a single pane centralized approach that covers all these fields and can be easily adopted to accommodate new products and face new threats. So it's not only, hey, let's solve the problems that we have today, but let's also get one that's going to be able to solve the problems that we have in the future, which just, now that makes it, you know, obviously much, much more complex because who knows what's coming at us. Things change by the second around here. I mean, every day things are changing, especially from the threat environment. And he basically said, it's a journey and I don't think anyone's arrived at it yet, which is, you know, I, I think we both agree on. What's interesting, there was, a, there was this analyst in the, in, the, in the article. His name is John Altsik, and he's an analyst with ESG Market Research. And he said that 62% of businesses polled want to buy a security suite from a single vendor. And I was shocked that it was only 62%. I mean, I think it's like close to like 89, you know, 90% of the people. Why wouldn't you want to buy you know, a single suite if you could just eliminate all of your problems. But I mean, see, I, I, see, I, I I'm, sho I'm shocked it's that high. I'm shocked it's 62%. Why? And here's why. why? I don't, I don't want a single vendor. I want, I want multiple layers. It's the same thing with like cloud, whatever it be, right? I, let's just say I'm an AWS or an Azure shop. I still want a backup. I still want something else I can use. Should that vendor have an issue? I don't want to be solely relying on a vendor. What if they start raising their prices? I want to continue to look and see what else is out there. And honestly, business needs change. And what if the single vendor I have cannot change to my business? Yeah, but you're not going to buy. You're talking. That's a service uh, uh, model that you're talking about, and like as an incident response when you have three or four, you know, response consultancies on 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 uh, you know on contract. When we're talking about technology, you're not going to go out and buy three technologies in case one doesn't work. I mean, no, but 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 I'll, I'll buy. Uh, money for that? I'm going to buy ones that are different. Though I'm going to buy from different people. 
So maybe I'll say, okay, my IDS is going to come from this area, but I'm going to use this. It's about knowing that the other company I'm working with also has a solution that can, can do something in that area. So we'll say my antivirus comes from one, IDS comes from another, something like that. Um, the idea is if, if, the, if the one I'm currently with maybe doing my, my DLP, whatever it is I, I'm rolling out, if they suddenly start having issues and they won't work with my partner, my business partners, I now have another vendor I can spin up really quickly because they're already approved. I already have done my third-party due diligence on them, and I can then get offboard the other one. Because it's like, look, you have not, you have not adjusted with my business needs. You, you, you do not cover an area that we're heading. You do not allow for some kind of thing that we're rolling out. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I want. I always want the ability to, to pivot because this, this, is, this is an area that moves a lot. I don't want to rely on a very large vendor to say to me, oh, that's great. We can do that. It's on our roadmap. It'll be here in six months to a year. No, too bad. It's, that's, that's not fast enough for me. I want to be flexible yeah. with my business. I, mean, I, I see I that coming out a lot too. I mean, those, there are vendors out there that have a roadmap to say, hey, look, you know, we, you know, we're going to have these different versions coming out and this is, you know, how we're going to start, you know, maturing our product uh, to, you know, match our, our, our competitors and things like that, which, hey, look, that's not a bad thing. It's good to know what the roadmap is. But like you said, year out from now, I mean, you know, six months, I mean, that's like a lifetime in cybersecurity. Um, I just, I just think that I'm surprised that that number is not even higher. I mean, when you talk about technology and, and, you know, layered approaches, people don't want duplicative technologies right now. I think there's a lot of companies out there a lot. I mean, I just had a big consulting company, uh, that I was talking to very, one of the largest in the world, have a special program to go out and help large organizations dedupe all these technologies that they have out there, find these duplicative, uh, capabilities and all, and their whole technology set you know, go through their inventory and say, okay, this, 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 this tool can actually do this. This tool can actually do that. You can replace this tool. You can, you know, um, sunset this tool over here. And I think people are just wasting tons and tons of money on all this technology. I mean, uh, it's, it's crushing the budgets when we don't have that kind of money in, in cybersecurity to be spending, uh, you know, on duplicative uh, issues when we have all these emerging risks that we've, that we're facing. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I, I, I do hear you out. I think um, there's, there's two different needs, I guess. So if I'm a small, uh, uh, maybe brand new startup, mom and pop shop, yeah, I want someone to just kind of handle security for me because I, I don't, I probably don't have the expertise that can't afford it. But as I get larger, I definitely want to do it myself. I want to think outside the box. I don't want to get reliant on a big company that does it all because at some point, you know, they're, 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 they're going to become a big, ship a big tanker in the ocean and they don't pivot like the small little the, the little you know jet boats that are, are new and coming out there and trying to try to take something new a new approach so for example like um uh, you know some small startup or something might have a new way of addressing security and and it's not going to be in, in, in it, it's not going to be part of a bigger oil tanker for a while right so they're gonna have to go prove their market space they're gonna have to do that and they'll probably get gobbled up um, so if I'm just solely relying on a very large uh, vendor who does it all for me, I won't get that best in breed new thing coming out that's addressing new threats probably for a year to two years. But if I'm constantly looking and evaluating, but again, you have to be looking at evaluating for what you think you need. So that all comes back down to being mature enough to understand what am I protecting, what layers I have in place right now, and how can I add to that security layer. So like when I go to RSA, I don't get overwhelmed because I have an idea of what I'm looking for. I'm thinking to myself, I want to protect this. Here's the layers I currently have. Are there areas coming up that can enhance those layers or add additional layers? And, you know, when others talk to me, 
even at a random, I can, I can easily think, okay, this doesn't really apply to what I'm doing right now. So I, I you know, maybe in the back of my mind, okay, cool to hear that that's coming right now. It doesn't apply to me. Uh, and that way I can kind of a more targeted approach. And so again, I probably from our last segment, right? It's that, it's that chief security officer coming in and, and holistically thinking of the strategy and letting the businesses work and, and decentralize so they can, they can make it work every day that we can, you know, build our product in a secure fashion. Well, the chief security officer is kind of going out there and looking and saying, okay, that works today. What's happening tomorrow? What's happening next week? And how do we integrate new technologies into that? And I, I think when you just get lazy and start going with a large vendor who does it all, you're not going to get best in breed in anything. You're just going to get layers all over. And it's just not going to work in the long run. So this sets up something very, very interesting that's going to happen. And it's a scenario that MarketWatch basically uh, researched. And, and, they, and they quoted Altsik as saying that there'll be platform wars out there, quote unquote, platform wars, where vendors compete for bigger lucrative deals, where deployment projects could span several years, which you know what that means, tons and tons of cash, right? So when you're competing in, in the battle that could lead to huge returns, Worldwide spending is expected to hit $114 billion in 2018 and grow to $124 billion in 2019. Now, I've seen some, some estimates that are actually higher than that. And when I, wrote, when I saw the breakdown of what they, how they actually came to that number, for instance, I think it was something like $880 million for data protection services, which I thought was low. I mean, worldwide? Worldwide? That's probably like a sector. <laughs> like, yeah, it, that's not worldwide, as I say. That's not that's worldwide. Right. Man. Yeah, yeah. That's some guys like to hurt something, yeah. <laughs> right? So I was like, man, that's, that's I think there's, even, there's a ton, a ton of cash out there. Um, and, and this is something I want to get in with you uh, to talk to you a little bit about in the third segment of the show as well. But, you know, Mandian told MarketWatch that all the security vendors, Cisco was the closest to providing an envelope platform. And there's some other people that were quoted on here. There was a, a, a person named G. Rittenhouse is the general manager of Cisco Security Business, told MarketWatch that delays in security incident detection and complexity, and that's the delays that specifically, that, I mean, I'll put quotes around that because that is the, the key to what he's, he thinks is driving some of this stuff. Due to juggling multiple vendors cobbled together to form coherent cyber defense is driving consolidation um, views, right? And so he said about, 20% of customers polled by Cisco in 2016 said they were using 10 to 20 vendors for their cybersecurity systems. And today, about 25%, I guess today, meaning 2018, 25% of customers are saying it has grown to be more like 20 to 50 vendors, which I think is even low. I think that's low. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? No, I, I think that is well. I think that there's going to be more than that depending on the size of your organization. I also think it depends on uh, how important security is to your, your business. So if you're a business that is not perceived to be a security business, and what I mean by that is um, you're not probably protecting financial data, you're not protecting personal data, I mean, like you still don't want to get a breach, but at the end of the day, you, you just want to do enough to like have security but not think about it. If you're like a financial institution, um, you're 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 you know one of the the credit bureaus, something like that. You have to you have to invest significantly in security, and I think it's okay to have that many vendors. I think it's okay to have multiple multiple vendors because you should be 
um, constantly reviewing, seeing what's on the roadmap, what are they doing? But you should constantly be looking at your vendors like on an annual basis and saying, do I still want them? Are they, are they, are they providing me data? You have to have these vendors out there because you need different you know, solution sets for different problems and there's so many different problems. There's so many, and there's 12 different disciplines if you look at it. If you want to break down just the disciplines in cybersecurity yep. alone, right? I mean, how many, how, many, how many tools do you just need in the investigative realm? <laughs> I mean, forensics. I mean, come yeah. on, you need a lot of tools out there, right? How many, how many of those people are at RSA? A lot, a lot. Well, the, the, the thing that the, the question I've been having lately is how much do I want to go rely on the vendor and how much do I want to build myself? There's a lot of open source tools out there that are great and you can start, you know, um, pretty much, uh, morphing them to what exactly you want. And, uh, you know, do I really want a vendor who, promises me the world says it's really great, but they don't share the code with me. I don't really know what they're doing on the back end hundred percent. What happens if they go under? What if they go out of business? Do I, how do I guarantee I can get my stuff back? How can I guarantee I can continue to operate? But if I go open source and I start working on things and it's like, well, you know, this code's been reviewed by everybody in the world. The secret sauce that makes it work for me is, you know, relative to me and my team. And quite honestly, I'm not worried about it going out of business because we own the code. I mean, everybody does, right? So, so this, is a good I think point. So, so this is off the top of my head and I, you know, I just tried to click around my computer to find that article real quick and I just couldn't find it. I don't think I have the time because we're going to probably take a break here soon. But I think that off the top of my head, the highest, the highest spend, if you, the line item and the whole expenditure of this in 120 billion that we were talking about here is like 19 billion for implementation. Just for implementation. So yeah. you're playing software. Yeah. You're yeah. spending 2 billion on software, but you're spending yeah. 19 billion to implement you know, stuff. Right. And it goes to your point of like, you know, I mean, how expensive does it, how expensive is it to build your own stuff? I mean, uh, uh, with the open source tools out there and stuff, if you're, if you're a security leader, you know, if you're a company that's focused on security, um, you know, so right now at, at Bitco, uh, we, we obviously use tons of vendors. We do a lot of stuff I mean, we're a security platform, right? We, we, we are a security company. But we, we want to own the code to everything we do. Like I, have, I have phenomenal engineers on my team who develop things off of open source, so we know the code's been reviewed. Uh, we're pretty, pretty serious, though. We, we, everything comes down to, we, have to have, you know, we use YubiKeys. We have, like, physical, physical touch of a computer has to happen at the end. Like, you, you have to not, you'd have to compromise my computer and then come in and physically touch it to do anything, right? And I'm so segmented. So we, we go in, we, we take a segmented approach, if you held a gun to my head, I can only do so much. You'd have to go do it to someone else. Um, all the stuff that we have, we, we evaluate. We make sure it's open source. We make sure that if the vendor goes out, like we, we can continue to operate. We look at saying, okay, how do we do this logically and physically? But we're a security company, right? We're focused on that. That's our bread and butter. A mom and pop shop running a, a store can't do that. So I do agree these larger vendors that can do it all for them are great, or maybe even a service. So maybe I sign up with like Comcast or Cox or whoever my, my, my provider is, and they offer me, you know, security out of the box. So basically my internet connection is secure. That's great. And I think we need some of that for some of those smaller ones, but these big companies like Equifax and security focused are um, privacy and, and serious data focused companies need to really um, not rely on one vendor because if that one vendor gets it wrong, the entire, like we are talking massive compromise across the world. So, you know, Rittenhouse, just to round up what he had to say, uh, I'll wrap up what he had to say, he said, when you have multiple vendors built into your systems, it takes a while to coordinate the response and correlate all those events. He says, and by then the attacker could really be off with stolen data. It's just become harder to deal with the complexity of adding in all these elements. And before you know it, 
you just don't have enough staff to operate all the gear that you have. Right? <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's a problem. So having said that, <clears throat> I wanted to get to a bunch of stuff, but having said that, who wants to be a chief security officer these days? <laughs> who wants to do this stuff? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe that's why Facebook isn't hiring one. They couldn't well, find that's one. The thing, you, know, I mean, you know, I think I read something where Stamos, you know, called the CSO position a real crappy job. This is a real crappy job I have. You know, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I don't, I, there, difficult there is, there is some truth to that. I think, I think what you're saying to, I mean, like when you think about it as a chief security officer, right? Your best day is nothing happened. Your worst day is anything happened. So it's not like you're ever going to have a great day where people are like, Oh great. Thank you for, you know, preventing this and that. Cause it shouldn't be noticed. We should just be doing it outside the box. We should be making everything run smoothly. And to your point, we're getting more and more vendors, more and more areas of attack, more and more options, more and more, um, issues and you know reliancy like being reliant on a vendor to do it all is, is not i mean you're, you're just betting that they're going to get it right so if you're going to do that that you know you've got to have phenomenal third-party review process to understand what they're doing and make sure that they're doing exactly right and I, i'm not saying that's that's a bad thing just make sure that you're really challenging them and making sure that you understand that hey this person's you know this big company's coming in doing it all for me um, and if they are, I want to make sure that they are taking the right steps necessary to not themselves become the point of my breach. All right. We got to take another short break. We're way over. We'll be right back. <laughs> right, You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash TF7 to request a look at Inkman SOAR live in action. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Redis, and I'm here with my guest co-host of Task Force 7 Radio, Tom Pager. So, Tom, I want to pick up where we left off on the massive amount of money, the massive amount of money spent in cybersecurity startups out there that's in the market. There's a lot of investment going on in the market right now, and I want to talk about how hard of a decision it is to decide which one of these companies you want to invest in. And so, you're in this business. You're involved in a VC firm named Red Dog Capital. Tell us a little bit about Red Dog and, you know, just explain what type of funding you guys do. Yeah, so Red Dog Capital is a, a smaller fund, mostly focused on seed rounds, um, which is basically pre-A. Uh, so, it's, you know, the first series rounds, the big capital rounds, series A, series B, and as far as you want to go. Um, usually, we're seed round. Uh, we do sometimes get into A rounds, and a lot of times we, we partner with others. Uh, so, uh, group of us might go into like an A round, I mean, sorry, uh, a seed round with the idea of someone leading an A round and, and us staying in there or maybe um, adding more, more capital into the A round. So, you know, how much of a, of a uh, I guess, influence do you have over the decisions on what companies get funded? I mean, how's that whole process work with, with Red Dog? So for us, we have uh, a, quite a few partners and we're all focused on different areas. So for me, I'm, I'm focused in the security area there's some in healthcare, um, some in like legal companies and others. So what basically happens is I'll be the one to do the evaluation on a security company, usually with uh, maybe one or two others, uh, one with like probably a legal background. And then Ed Kim runs our fund. Um, hopefully we can get him on the show in the future. Um, usually Ed will be involved in anything. And then what we do is we kind of come back and we, we pr- propose it to the group of uh, uh, partners and we really ask the tough questions, and then there's a vote. And um, at the end of it, you know, basically, we haven't had a situation where someone's like just said no. Usually, usually we do uh, all vote uh, yes or no together. I mean, if there's no's, we pretty much cancel it. Um, if we had, you know, one or two no's, uh, but we had some pretty uh, serious, you know, individuals who said, you know, we agree on it, we can get it through. But we, we pretty much do do a consensus. It's just not worth it. And, and the questions that are asked are pretty serious. You know, does the business make sense? You know, what's the growth look like? Um, you know, what's the exit strategy? All this stuff from, from the fund round. So I got hit up on Instagram by someone. Um, and I just have one of these nicks. They don't, you know, I don't know what the real name is or anything, but it has one of these nicks. And they basically said, hey, look, I listen to the show a lot. Do you plan to air any segments based on cybersecurity business startups and what it takes financially from a business standpoint, and you know, I, obviously, being in a, in a, in a VC and, and funding a lot of companies, this is something that you have experience with. I mean, what do you look for in a company when thinking about investing in them? So there's two things we're going to look at. The first one is, is it a product that we believe in, right? So that's important. But a lot of people think if I got a great idea, a great product, bam, it's off the races. That's not, not, that is not true, and history has shown that. Uh, and I'll give an example, VHS versus, versus beta. Betamax is actually a better quality. It was a better product. VHS marketed and had a better leadership team and got bigger customers early. And VHS crushed Betamax. So in history, you can see that inferior products can be superior products. So the next thing we look at is, 
is the leadership team, the advisors, and honestly, the commitment. So one of the biggest issues we find is somebody has a great idea, they want to get in there, but they're not willing to kind of go in 100% of the time, full time, 100%, and what we call um, the, the kind of the blood, sweat, and tears. A lot of times the, the founder or the person who wants to do this might not have the capital, you know, they, they don't have the money to do it. So we're asking somebody to put money in, and as someone who's going to take the risk and give the money, we want to know what's your risk, and, and your risk would be the blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, so we really do look for uh, that kind of leader, you know, the kind of person who is going to go and you know, be up you know, 24-7 if they need to to get it done and, and not be distracted by other things. So how about the leadership of the company? I mean, it's one thing to have a good idea. It's one thing to be in the right place at the right time. But how about the leadership of the company and how important that is? And, and you mentioned it, but I mean, let's dive a little bit deeper into that. What are you looking for? It's extremely important. I think uh, understanding you know, the rapport, how do you feel around these people? Do, you, do they excite you about the product? Do you feel like they can sell the product, right? Do they absolutely believe in it? You also look for any kind of turmoil, right? Is there... Um, are they resistant? Are they already pushing back to things? Um, do you, you know, if there's more than one, maybe, maybe two founders or something, you know, what's the dynamic? Do they seem to get along? Can you see them long-term going together? Um, sometimes you look at experience. So, you know, maybe someone's young and, and energetic. So like for Google, right? I mean, uh, Larry and Sergey were very young and energetic, not experienced. They brought in uh, uh, Eric Schmidt, who was the CEO with experience. But that was a great leadership team, right? You had the young the energy, the product, and, and then you had a, a, an experienced individual who would, you know, build the company around them. Uh, so sometimes you get someone who or some people who are just too young without experience, or sometimes you get just too experienced without the youth to kind of <laughs> push the product and, and, and feel like, okay, we're actually going to, you know, roll up our sleeves and get this done. So you kind of look for that healthy balance. It, it's not perfect, right? A lot of it's gut feel and, and what you see, but there are times where, you know, products um, looked great, but passed on. Uh, because at that time, maybe, you know, just seemed inexperienced. Maybe we couldn't see the path, couldn't understand, you know, and, and really have a path, right? I, you know, I have this product. I think it's great. My, my, my vision is, you know, I want X amount of dollars. With these dollars, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to target the segment. When someone comes in and says, oh, you know, trillions of dollars, give me money, and I, I'll make all the money. Like, no, I want to hear that, like, I'm going to go into, you know, healthcare for me. I'm, I'm going to go secure this hospital. My pilot's going to be with this. I'm going to prove it this way. Um, it's going to cost me this amount of money. I have runway to run for two years based on this. And, you know, here's my growth trajectory. So, you know, and this is just as a general question to, you know, again, to the, the person on Instagram, you know, what, what's the employee pool look like? Like, you, you know, you're starting a new company. How much did you set aside for your employee pool in terms of equity uh, when you build your, your equity structure? So that's all going to de depend on um, the company, right? I mean, it's, it's just different ways. So as as they kind of put together for seed, Series A, Series B, like there's just going to be every time there's going to be some kind of, you know, whoever's investing is going to want some percentage of the company. Um, and then you've got to start thinking about, you know, what percentage am I, the founder, trying to keep? How much am I trying to keep for my employees? And, you know, you, you can watch Shark Tank. It actually is a great example, right? Someone comes up with an idea, they sell by this much of the company with this. You got to think about that because as your investors come in, they're going to own parts of it. But I, I think some people sometimes freak out because they don't want to sell too much of the company. But you have to remember that by selling parts of your company, 
you own smaller percentage of a company, but you own a smaller percentage of a bigger thing. So like I can own hundred percent of a pond with three fish in it. That's great. I got three fish. But if I, you know, sell, you know, someone helps me invest and suddenly that pond becomes a lake and it has a thousand fish in it and I own 10% of that, you know, I, I'm doing <clears throat> way better because now I own, you know, a hundred fish, um, you know, instead of the three fish I, when I owned the whole pond. So you got to kind of start thinking about that, that like, even though it's a smaller percentage, a smaller percentage of a much bigger thing. You start owning like the Pacific Ocean, even 1% of the Pacific Ocean, how many fish is that, right? I mean, just, so that's the thing that I think people get caught up on. So you got to think about it like, you know, does this make sense? Is the growth right? And do I have enough uh, equity left to give to employees, incentivize people to come in um, where they'll want to come in? Because, you know, when you go to a startup, you don't go for cash. You don't go for that. You go for the, the dream, the equity that, you know, this thing will blow up and that'll be worth something. Yeah, I mean, I think this is something that a lot of young entrepreneurs get wrong. And, you know, when I talk to a lot of the uh, successful entrepreneurs out there, you know, they just have like, you know, horror stories about people who built very successful companies and walked away with nothing. And um, I think you have to be really careful from the beginning. And you need good advisors. You need really good advisory board to help you. Uh, along the way to make sure that you're not making some of these typical mistakes, I should say. What, what, what type of companies are you looking to avoid, right? So I, I talk to a lot of, you know, VC guys and they were like, well, I don't do this, I don't do that. And they're very, I, I, you know, they're sort of in a box sometimes. Like I, I only do this. This is what I do. If it's not this, then I'm not interested in it. You know, what things, you know, and, well, why is that? And then, you know, what companies are you looking to avoid? I think the things that I wouldn't say I look to avoid companies. We're pretty open to listen to anything where I get my red flags usually, especially as a seed round person is if it's something that has to do with anything that's regulatory or government, I, I, I tend to pause because we know it's going to be slower than anyone expects. So if I, if I, if I hear a great idea and it's like, we're going to address um, some kind of regulatory thing, maybe, or, you know, we're, once we get approval from, I don't know, uh, you know, the, some kind of government entity that causes me red flags because there's just too much reliance. So if you think you're going to get approved by something that is government backed in a year, honestly, it's probably going to be, you know, at least double, if not triple that. Right. So you're talking two to three years and sometimes that's just too much. There's just too much risk or, or too much time in that. Um, however, there are other funds that, that do like that. There are ones that are like, you know, we're okay. We're going to we'll go a little bit longer term. So I think just knowing, like, look at the VCs that you talk to and, and look at their history. So if you're someone who's going into like healthcare or regulated space, something like that, look for ones that do back that. The other thing is, is don't get discouraged talking to VCs because if you're not, sometimes you talk to someone and it's not the right fit today, but if they've taken the time to talk to you, believe me, they're still talking, they're still observing you. If they say no now, they're going to check in with you and we all talk to each other. I mean, like, you know, the VC community, we're constantly, you know, bouncing ideas off each other. We're constantly saying, Hey, I'm looking at this company. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Because, you know, we're all trying to make, you know, the right guesses and we start to learn from each other, what each other's looking for. So even though someone might come talk to me and I might be like, you know what, I'm going to pass. I might be having dinner or, or catch up with another VC and I'll say, Hey, I talked to, you know, George Reedus, Inc. And, you know, they, they're, they're kind of heading towards this thing. It's more, you know, they're, they're going to need, uh, you know, approval from the FTC or something like that on this. 
uh, I know you're more in this space and, and you guys have dealt with companies like this and you have contacts, you might be interested in them. I'll pass that information along. So I think it's really going out there. And, and honestly, I think a good VC, I mean, a, a good entrepreneur has to have a few things. One is a good idea. Two, belief in the idea. Three, the ability to go and sell and get told no a lot. So like you got to be able to handle a lot of reject, rejection. You got to ask a thousand people out to maybe get one to two dates, right? And that's okay because those one to two dates are what you want. And then I think they also have to constantly look at um, when is it time that they might not be the one in charge anymore. So like early stage, you might be you know a new entrepreneur and you got a great idea and you're leading that company, but at some point as it starts to grow, you might not grow with it because you just don't have experience or because you're so passionate about the product. You got to be willing sometimes to step down and say, you know what? I don't need to be CEO anymore. I want to be like the chief technology officer, chief uh, strategy officer, something like that where I can focus on the product growth. Yeah, every once in a while, someone does ride the whole way to the, the wave to the top, which is great. But like always just keep reevaluating, looking back at yourself saying, am I doing what's best for the growth of this business product, right? Every, every probably quarter to six months, just really look at it and say, Am I growing it the best or would it be better if someone else came in here and did that? I focused here. Okay, folks, we've run out of time once again. But before I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.